AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Breathing. Right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Christina Wallace. And I'm Kate Scott Campbell. And you're listening to The Limit Does Not Exist. A podcast for human Venn diagrams. Coming at you every single Monday. And hosted by us. squeeze machine learning, cognitive science, linguistics, and delicious pastries all into one episode? Well, you're about to find out. That's right. Today we're talking with Burr Settles, a computer scientist who leads the research group at Duolingo, where he develops and studies statistical machine learning systems in order to help people learn languages. He also uses algorithms to help people make music as the founder of FAWM.org, an online music challenge and community. And he's a songwriter and guitarist 
in the Pittsburgh pop band Delicious Pastries. Burr shares how he taught himself electrical engineering and broadened his sonic palette by building guitar stomp boxes. And he gives us tips on how to successfully collaborate online. He also shares some great advice on how to uniquely connect your different interests and treats us to some musical math puns. Bring on the musical interludes. I'll co-sign that. Oh, stop. I've only just begun. Let's just jump in. <laughs> Let's go. Hi, Christina. Hey, Kate. Hi, Burr. Hi. So happy welcome. to have you. Yes, welcome. So happy to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. It's our pleasure. There is so much about you that I can't wait to talk about. Christine, I know you feel the same. <laughs> um, indeed. Yes, indeed. It's a bit of a tradition on our show at this point to talk about what's going on on our Twitter page. Uh, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, this week, there's some there's some sad news that uh, many of our listeners may have heard. Yeah. Yeah. So the uh, Miriam Mirzakhani, she's an, an Iranian uh, mathematician out at Stanford. She is the first and only woman to ever win the field. Medal, which is sort of like the Nobel Prize of mathematics. It's a really big deal. She died this weekend um, at the age of 40 from cancer that actually spread uh, into her bones, I, I was reading. And it sounds like she'd been kind of fighting it for a number of years, um, which makes her you know, accomplishments even more impressive. But as, you know, someone pointed out, she's not just a genius. She's also a wife and a mother. And and it's just really heartbreaking that we lost her this weekend. It was, she was sort of my superhero. And uh, I don't know, I was, I was really bummed. Now I'm getting even more bummed thinking about it again. Um, but uh, a number of you tweeted the news at us and mm-hmm. certainly shared in the loss with us. So we wanted to uh, share that is here as well. Yes, absolutely. And uh, mm-hmm. um, happy that she received some recognition for all of her incredible work in her life. Of course, yes, we are so sad that she left us so soon. If you guys remember in our Creative Brain Power episode with Amanda Pingbodapakia, she um, had created as part of her Beyond Curie project a beautiful piece of art for and about Miriam, um, which she tweeted uh, with the words, a Wonder Woman gone too soon. Certainly true. Mm-hmm. Uh, we retweeted that as well as some other... Um, some other great tributes to Miriam. So check those out and uh, we'll just all continue to keep celebrating her and her incredible work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, keep looking to find the next entire generation of women who are going to come up and follow in her steps. Absolutely. So in some happier Twitter news, as uh, we were getting ready to have our great guest Burr Settles on the show today, uh, Burr, at the top of your Twitter page is a tweet that says, so yeah, this is a real thing. And you share the fact that there is a brand new course on Duolingo uh, where you can learn High Valyrian, which is very, very cool. (laughs) Yeah, and one of the one of the most practical languages you can be yeah. learning right now that winter is here. <laughs> exactly. Now that winter is back, Game of Thrones is uh, back on with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you have a hand in this? We are obviously going to talk all about your work as head of the research team at Duolingo. So, Burr, what can you tell us about this new course on Duolingo? And I should also ask, what is Duolingo? <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> 
That's a great question. So Duolingo is uh, currently the most popular way to learn a language online. Uh, in fact, there are more people learning languages on Duolingo than there are in the entire U.S. public school system. Wow. Uh, and our, our mission is to make language learning free, fun, and accessible to everybody in the world. We've got over about a, 170 million total users worldwide. Oh, my goodness. Um, and almost all of the course content for, for the languages that we teach are developed by volunteer contributors. We, really? For some of our most popular courses, we do have some in-house staff that help manage them. But uh, for a course like High Valerian, David Peterson, who actually developed the spoken language, he's a linguist, uh, developed the spoken language for the TV series, uh, reached out to us, is my understanding, uh, wanting to develop this course. Uh, ever since we launched the Incubator, which is the platform that we use to crowdsource uh, the courses, uh, he was vocal on Twitter and very excited about what this could do for opening up people learning conlangs or constructed languages. That is really cool. Well, I know about Duolingo because my fiance taught himself to speak French through Duolingo and he got so hooked on it that like he would be in a room in our apartment with the door closed and I would just hear the little sound of the lesson completion happening. <laughs> and I'm like, Ding. Ross, I know what you're doing. <laughs> you're on Duolingo. Um, but let's talk about your work with Duolingo, Burr. So you are a staff scientist, software engineer, and head of the research team. So what kind kind of research are you doing? What's your role like there? So my background is in computer science and machine learning, artificial intelligence. Uh, but in particular, I'm also interested in computational linguistics and cognitive science. So uh, what I work on is various projects at the intersection of those three things. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So what might that look like? Whenever you're learning something new, you're bound to forget it if you don't practice it uh, on an appropriate schedule or at the right intervals. Mm -hmm. And since Duolingo has millions of language learners from all over the world, we have an enormous amount of data that we can use to build and test various statistical models of how people learn and also how they forget information over time. And then we can use those models to help tailor and personalize uh, the learning experience. So that's one example of the sort of work that I've been doing here. That, That's awesome. That is really awesome. Just to chime in, I think I've talked on our show before about I, I do consider myself a fast learner, but my long-term memory I, I is is no good. It is not what I want it to be. <laughs> so I can learn something, but then the retention is what I really struggle with. I'm so fascinated that, that that's on your radar in terms of learning. Right. There's actually a well-known phenomenon of uh, the spacing effect and the lag effect, which are two concepts that we build into the statistical models that we use. The idea is uh, you'll learn something better over the long haul if you space out the practices, hmm. and you'll also learn it better if each time you delay, the next time you wait even longer. Hmm. Interesting. That's well. That certainly explains, yeah. Kate, why you can't remember anything that you cram because <laughs> right. Yep. You aren't yep. spacing out that learning. Yep. Yep. Um, so okay. So Bert, before you joined Duolingo, you you earned a PhD in computer science from the University of Wisconsin, and then worked as a postdoc researcher at Carnegie Mellon. So, what's it like to be a research scientist at a university versus at a tech company? 
There, well, a lot of the the problems are the same, actually, uh, and a lot of the things that I've learned in an academic setting, I apply every day in a in a startup kind of industry setting. But I think one of the biggest differences is what I would call like the reward function for a job well done. And mm-hmm. in an academic setting, the reward function is is something like the number of papers that you publish or the number of citations they get. Mm-hmm. That's less of an emphasis at a, especially a startup. Uh, where uh, the reward function is building a product that does a better job at acquiring and retaining its users, and in our case, and and also teaching them better. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting because you're talking about like a number of different papers versus it sounds like continuing to add value and expand this one distinct product. Is that Right. right? Right. So, well, I mean... The day-to-day work is often pretty similar. We have lots of data. We have some hypotheses. We build some computational models. We test them to see if they explain the data well. And then uh, rather than going and writing a paper on it, most of the time the next step for me is to implement the idea in the production system. Well, half of our users will get one version of Duolingo and half will get a different version based on research. Interesting. And uh, then we can empirically measure, you know, uh, which one does better in terms of keeping people engaged or teaching them better. So you got your PhD and you worked in academia, but then you ended up taking this job in industry. Did you know when you went into your PhD that you wanted to end up in industry or was that something you discovered along the way? It's something that I... I guess I discovered along the way, there's something I call kind of the Stockholm Syndrome. Once you're kind of in academia, you, you think you, you, you want to continue along that route. But when my, my postdoc was up, <laughs> I had a few different job opportunities uh, to different directions I could go. And I actually think my experience in different music groups helped inform the decision that I ultimately made to go to Duolingo. Okay, um, you, you must tell us more. This is fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what so, are these music groups and how does so, this apply? <laughs> right. So if you think about it, there are a few different types of music careers you can have. So one is to be a solo artist uh, where mm-hmm. at the end of the day you're responsible for your own work. You make, uh, you write all the songs, you book all of the gigs, you have a rotating cast of support people that you hire. And then another type of career you could have would be a performer in a large band or an orchestra. Mm-hmm. So you're, you have less control or less of a say in the overall operations, but you're a critical part. Or you could also be in a, a small ensemble or a band where you have a shared creative vision and you kind of divide up the labor. Maybe this person does the booking and this person does the recording and this person writes the songs and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. So I've been in, in all those different types of musical situations. And I found the the band that I joined when I moved to Pittsburgh was a really probably the most fulfilling kind of music situation that I had been in. And when I had the opportunity to go th- an academic route, which I think of as kind of more like a solo artist, mm-hmm. um, or to join a large company, which is kind of more like being in a band or an orchestra, versus joining a startup, which is a, a tighter knit people group of people with a shared vision uh, and diverse backgrounds to bring to bear. I ultimately decided that was one. Of, I thought that was the direction that I wanted to go, and five almost five years later, I'm still happy with that decision. 
I'm so happy to hear you talk about this because I think, you know, we talk a lot on our show about different career paths and how to choose what looks and feels right for you. And what you're talking about is really like, what is the expression day in and day out of what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And what is the community? Mm -hmm. And what are your daily interactions like? And I, I just love that you broke down what you loved about one of your passions and were able to then kind of translate that into mm -hmm. what your other looks like on a day in and day out. Right. And, and interestingly enough, the weekend after I made the decision to join Duolingo, my band was going on tour. Oh, my gosh. And I, we stopped and played a show in Baltimore. And um, a friend of mine, Hannah Wallach, who uh, at that time was a professor at University of Massachusetts Amherst, and she's now at Microsoft Research. She was kind of grilling me on like, what? You're, you're abandoning us? You're, uh, you're going to some startup? And that was actually the moment where I realized consciously why I had made this particular decision. I need yeah. to ask, uh, <laughs> since I saw this in our in our prep notes for this, um, you play guitar in a Pittsburgh band and you're called Delicious Pastries. Is that right? <laughs> that is correct. Okay, I need Yum. to know the story behind this because it's just making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, now I want to eat some delicious pastries. Uh, what What's the origin story for that? Um. All right, so our drummer is probably going to kill me for sharing this. Uh, but it's actually, it was an inside joke between uh, him and his girlfriend at the time. They were just kind of hanging out, and she took, as, as the story goes, the mm -hmm. legend, legend has it, uh, that she took a big whiff out of his armpits and was like, wow, that smells pretty good. <laughs> And, and he said, True yeah, love. it's like two delicious pastries down there. And she said, that would make a great band name. And indeed, it has. It's <laughs> amazing. That is so fantastic. I mean, could all of our armpits smell like delicious pastries? The world would be a happier place. Okay, you're ruining pastries yeah. for me. Let's move on. <laughs> okay, okay, so I have, I have another question related to this. Can you just break down what machine learning is quickly yes. for our listeners? Because I know that not everyone who listens to this is as familiar with some of these concepts as some of the other ones. Uh, sure. So, I mean, if you ask 10 different machine learning researchers what it is, you'll get 10 different answers. But in general, I like to think of machine learning as uh, the study of computer systems that improve through experience. Now, in practice, what that often means, uh, the so-called experience is making predictions on some kind of data. One example of an application that we care about at Duolingo is tracking how well people uh, remember new words in the language that they're learning. Mm. Since words can have uh, multiple senses, like, for example, the, the noun run in the sentence, I'm going for a run, versus the verb, I run every afternoon. Right. Those are two different senses, and we want to be able to track, you know, if somebody learning English understands both of those senses independently. Mm -hmm. um, so computers can learn how to tell the difference between the noun and the verb from context, but that usually requires training that machine on millions of individual words that have been labeled by human beings. So mm -hmm. somebody painstakingly went through and said, run in this sentence is a noun and run in this sentence is a verb and, and so on mm -hmm. for adjectives and articles and determiners. And This is so fascinating to me as somebody who is a total machine learning rookie to just know that these algorithms, please tell me if I'm butchering this, uh, are, you know, tracking our not only what we're learning, but how well we're learning each application of what we're learning. 
So machine learning uh, is kind of like applied statistics. Uh, you know, some people would not be happy that I put it that way, but it's basically finding statistical regularities and patterns in data. Mm-hmm. And you can then use those patterns to make predictions about new things. So uh, one example pattern is if the word run shows up right after a pronoun, then it's probably a verb. Like I run, you run, they run. But if it's being used after an article like A, I'm going for A run, Mm -hmm. uh, then it's probably a noun. So in a sense, that's all machine learning is really doing. Now, the the exact patterns depend on the problem, a computer vision problem or, you know, self-driving cars. You know, they model the problems very differently. But Mm -hmm. basically, it's all finding statistical regularities. Well, what I find fascinating about this in in both of those examples you just gave, both, you know, self-driving cars and, you know, the work that you're doing identifying words, is that while, you know, everyone's worried about, like, the robots are going to come take all of our jobs, while, you know, the, the computers are able to do a whole host of work very, very quickly that would take humans a long time to do, there are still roles for humans in this work. It's It might be defined differently or they might be um, interacting with computers very differently, but you still need someone to, in this case, you know, identify and label what it is that the machine is going to learn off of. Um, or in the case of self-driving cars, being able to point out and take pictures and, and help, you know, the machine learning on that side really identify this is a road, these are the markers on the road, that is a person, this is a cow, don't hit the cow. Um, <laughs> So, you know, at least in the short term, there's going to be, you know, opportunities and jobs and, and uh, roles for humans, um, <laughs> even if the, the machines win in the end. Uh, um, yeah, I'm not even that fatalistic about it. How <laughs> oh, good. Um, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, and I'm not sure I agree um, that computers can do an excellent job at these things that would take humans, you know, millions of years to do. Uh, in fact, it's a lot of effort to to get machines to do the sorts of things that we can do in a split second. There's a lot of jobs that we want machines to be able to do that they're not so much difficult for humans, but they're kind of uh, boring or tedious. Or we want them to be able to be done automatically or quickly, like classifying your spam emails as they come in uh, or or anonymously rather than having somebody who looks at all of your email and decides, well, that's spam or (laughs) that should go to your inbox. Mm. Uh, So that's another like successful popular application of machine learning. And thank God for that. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So grateful. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. 
Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This 
is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's hard to calculate the rate of change in my heart But infinite grace is an integral part And there's no limit to the freedom that you get And I'll be your derivative so, Burr, applying machine learning to language is is so cool. And in addition to that, you've also used it to help people make music. So let's talk about FAWM.org, an online music challenge and community that you started as a distraction during your PhD and is now a platform for research on computer-aided collaboration and creativity. So take us a little bit through what FAWM is, how it started, and, and what you're into now. Now, what you're doing with it now? Uh, sure. So FAWM stands for February Album Writing Month. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> and it was something that I started uh, with some friends back in 2004. Uh, and it was literally just the idea. I, I had been in grad school for a couple of years at that point. It had been years since I had written a song. Mm. And some songwriting friends over the internet and I, and this is before you know MySpace and Facebook and, and whatever else. Um, mm-hmm. So we were just emailing each other and said, you know what, let's just pick some random month out of the year and we'll everybody write a whole album in that month. And so we picked February rather arbitrarily, gave it (laughs) this stupid name. And um, uh, it turned out to work really well because, you know, in February, especially up north in Wisconsin where I was, it's all snowy and just want to stay inside it and be creative anyway. (laughs) So it started with just four of us in 2004 uh, and it has grown uh, regularly. Several thousand people participate every February now. And when I was at Carnegie Mellon, uh, some people in the human-computer interaction group there, I've collaborated with them on actually studying the social dynamics of how people come together to collaborate and write new music uh, on the website. That is so cool. I love that this like challenge of accountability, which I'm so mm-hmm. into, became this way of studying collaboration and, and the formation and success of online creative collaborations. Can mm-hmm. you share, because you know this has made its way into your research, can you share a gem of wisdom about how to successfully collaborate online? So based on our work, I'm not sure I could answer that specific question, but I can share an example of a counterintuitive finding Hmm. uh, that that we found when we were analyzing uh, the patterns of how people came together. So there were a lot of subtle extensions of previous theories. So for example, general uh, collaboration theory says that people are attracted to work together out of shared interests, which makes sense. Yeah. But, But let's say you've got a jazz pianist from Seattle who comes together to work on a new song with a thrash metal guitarist from the Netherlands. And this, ac- this actually happened. Uh, <laughs> happens regularly. So if they come together to write a song, it turns out they're like- more likely to be satisfied with the output of the results of that collaboration than, say, two folk singers uh, from different parts of the country. Ooh. So it's not just a shared interest, but the fact that they have different skills and backgrounds that they bring to the table that makes for successful collaborations. 
Oh my gosh. That's fascinating. I, I mean, we've seen that. that true in the startup world all the time where you don't want two business founders or two tech founders. You really want to think about someone who can make and someone who can sell and someone who can market. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's awesome that there's research findings behind that that backs that up. Mm-hmm. It's really cool, too, because I think creatively, it's often like sometimes it feels more comfortable to find someone else who has a similar point of view about something. Sometimes it feels like, oh, I'm just going to find someone who's also into this thing uh, rather than let me find someone who's like a master of a totally different genre and let's see what kind of fun we can have. So it's really neat that you're finding support that as well. I also need to ask a question about <laughs> your songwriting. Yes. Um, since we're talking about songwriting, you are not above using extended math puns in your songwriting. <laughs> um, we we stumbled upon uh, a particular gem that we are now obsessed with called Your Derivative. Yep. Um, <laughs> tell us about how you think about songwriting and, you know, certainly... Uh, I would imagine math and um, and computer science is something you think about in your real life. Um, but why do you decide to include it in your songwriting as well? Well, it, it's kind of natural. Uh, I don't have any particular songwriting formula or recipe that I follow, uh, like music first or lyrics first or whatever. Each song is its own kind of has its own path. In the case of your derivative. You know, a lot of people call math uh, the language of God, and one day I was just kind of noodling around writing a love song to God, so to speak, and as I was just kind of freestyling, blabbing things out, your derivative came out, which made sense, and immediately I thought of, uh, you know, you're an int- integral part, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and it just like, it kept going from there, and it actually, I mean, it was cheesy, but it also felt very genuine uh, and earnest. So I just kept going with it. And I forgot how long ago I wrote that song, but it's a very honest representation, I think, of who I am and what I was trying to say <laughs> at that time. That's so awesome. I mean, it's no cheesier than like the love songs of the summer that we used to jam out to. So. Oh, sure. Well, and I, yeah. I've sometimes used my songwriting as a mnemonic device, too. For example, when I was in, in grad school taking some biochemistry classes, you know, I couldn't remember the details of Michaela's Minton Kinetics or the Krebs cycle. So I wrote songs sort of schoolhouse rock style oh. you know, to help myself remember. That's awesome. I, I, I love that. Well, I, I want to talk about your journey with music as well a little bit, because I read that as a teenager, you really wanted to make your own guitar effects, but we're struggling with the basics of electrical engineering. But then recently you started building guitar stomp boxes, which we definitely want you to explain what those are, using engineering and as a way to teach yourself engineering. So tell us kind of about that journey and how it's helped to broaden your your sonic palette. Uh, so in the band Delicious Pastries, when I joined that several years ago, I didn't use any guitar effects. So stomp boxes are just these these little things that you plug your guitar cables through, and when you turn them on, by stomping on them usually, they can change the sound, mm-hmm. like add some distortion or or add some modulation to have like a swimmy, spacey sound or some delays, echoes. Yeah. Um, in most of my musical career, I didn't really use any of those. I wasn't very interested in them. And then after a few years, I got interested in it. And back when I was a teenager, 
I had an interest then, but I didn't really have the money to afford ones that were made. So I wanted to try and build my own, but the resources were just not there to learn what I needed to learn. Mm -hmm. And when I decided to revisit this a few years ago, uh, I found through the magic of the internet that multiple online communities dedicated to sharing electrical schematics uh, and how the circuits were designed and various tutorials to kind of understand the basics. Uh, and also online stores where you can order specialty parts for this hex inverter chip or something that's specific to this particular circuit. And so I started building some things from some some kits at first and ultimately started uh, learning the computer-aided design software to uh, to lay out the, the circuit boards myself. And I'm now designing uh, some of my own effects. And, and now with Delicious Pastries, I have a live gig pedal board of about eight different effects, about half of which I've either built, uh, designed, or modified. That is so cool. We love hearing stories about learning through the internet. And you've also <laughs> you've done such a great job of sharing your findings, right? You have a website where you sort of share what you've been working on. And uh, it's a full circuit. Is there a joke in there? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think there might be. I just love your comment on the blog post you wrote about some of this, that it's nice to have a hobby that is material in nature, a departure from my usual world of data and software, but also complements the musical interests. I've seen this, you know, we've had other guests come on who might spend most of their day online and we find that one of their other interests, if not multiple, are usually in a very tangible, you know, part of the world, whether it's playing music or making things. Did you find that that needing both sides of that, that duality was was true all the way through that for as much time as you spend online, you're also interested in digging your hands into something and, and getting down into the grid of it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, for example, am not very interested in in computer-based music, like making music with computers. I spend my whole day with a computer. Uh, so I would much rather uh, – my, my hobbies, even if they're technical – would like to spend as much of that in the physical world, you know, something tangible, building something. Uh, so that's part of the reason I chose to go into making the stomp boxes. And you also, you study both computer science and studio art at DePaul University, right? So how did it occur to you to do both of those at a time when students are often counseled that they need to choose and start to focus? Was there any pushback then of, of wanting to study both? Uh, no, not at all. In fact, I went to DePaul on a partial uh, art scholarship, so I kind of had to at least do that part of the bargain. <laughs> um, but in general, when I was looking at colleges, I specifically decided to go to a small liberal arts school like DePaul because it's it was more encouraged in that setting to broaden your horizons. I think at that time and possibly even still, there were s certain graduation requirements. You had to have a certain number of STEM credits as well as a certain number of humanities credits. And I happened to do a lot of both, but that was something that I wanted. Uh, and I think a, a lot of students do too. That's really great to hear. And I, I think it's so true. And, and was there a time mm -hmm. that you, you know, decided during your college experience, okay, I know I want to go on and, you know, specialize or study more computer science? Like, was that something that gradually came to you? Or was it sort of a, a clear aha moment? Well, I actually 
Initially, I intended to double major in math and art, uh, mm. and then after taking a couple of computer science classes my freshman year, decided that that's what I wanted to do. And interestingly, my undergraduate advisor, who was a, a computer science professor, kind of nudged me toward graduation into going to grad school, uh, which mm. I ultimately did. And kind of a drawback of that smaller liberal arts uh, education was that in some sense, I was a little bit less prepared for graduate work at a research institution like the University of uh, Wisconsin Mm -hmm. than some of my peers who had gone to larger schools uh, and or had just focused in computer science. Realistically, I learned all the fundamentals that I needed in that setting and was able in a semester or two to get up to speed. That's fantastic. You know, I'm so curious, too, about, you know, we continue to find that specifically this love of computer science and music really go hand in hand. Have you ever made this connection between your love of music and computer science? Have you ever sort of said, why am I into both of those things? Is there a connection there? Or do you feel like they're just two things that you happen to be into? No, I think there's definitely a correlation. Um, We were actually just talking about this at the Duolingo office the other day. Um, Mm. Fundamentally, I think computer science and music are both quantitative things. Mm. Uh, So computer science is about building useful tools on top of logical structures and numbers and counting. Uh, Literally, they're computing things. Uh, And in a sense, music is an art form that's doing the same thing through time signatures and intervals and uh, trying to evoke emotions or tell stories through a a quantitative process. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't think it's any surprise that that people are drawn to both. So one of the other things you're drawn to, which we found out by stalking the uh, miscellany tab on your website, (laughs) um, in 2012, you challenged yourself to play a game every day of the year. So what inspired that challenge and what did you take away from that? Uh, right. In, in 2012, I think a week or two into the year, I just happened to notice that I had been getting together with friends and playing board games every day so far that year. Awesome. Uh, and, and when I realized that, I was like, well, let's see if we can keep it going all year. Um, <laughs> I love that. You're like, I've invested 10 days. Why not give another 350? <laughs> well, and I thought you were going to say, like, I had an absence of fun in my life. And so I decided to start playing games. But you were like, no, I have a great no. thing happening. <laughs> had a great life. Let's keep going. Yeah, I had to keep keep my streak going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually think that was also the year that my, my postdoc was ending and I was on the job market. So one One of the most valuable things I think I learned through that year was a resilience to failure, Uh, because Mm -hmm. when you're playing games, you're you're going to lose as much or more than you win. And, you know, I had several rejections as well as offers. uh, And I think I think it was kind of overall a healthy thing. And it also influenced my decision to come to work to do at Duolingo because it's essentially an educational game. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Very good point. Yeah, that is so true. You get, you get points for keeping your streak going, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, my my that's... app uh, yells at me when I don't open it often enough. <laughs> Play more games, Christina, please. It's and true. Things. It's true. I love it. Well, I, this is a question that we love to ask on the show, and you are the perfect candidate to ask it. What is Uh-oh. a technology... <laughs> <laughs> I know. I did I set that up in a daunting way? L- let yeah, me try just it. a little bit. Yeah. 
<laughs> so what's a technology or an interface that fascinates you currently and what's one that scares you? I think the uh, the promise or potential of chatbots is something something that fascinates me and excites me. Uh, and particularly like Duolingo, we're experimenting with using chatbots to help you learn a language in a low pressure sort of setting and way. Hmm. Uh, and, and so that, that's something that I'm, I'm fascinated by and I'm looking forward to seeing the benefits of these sorts of things. Um, okay. I'm going to pause you right there. So a chat bot is when like my phone is chatting with me. Is that kind of, is that what that is? I, right. So it's <laughs> it's an artificial intelligence agent mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily have to be machine learning based, but uh, it's it's something on the other end. Imagine you're texting with something and it's texting back to you mm-hmm. uh, and you're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. So that could be another person or if it's uh, a computer program, then that's a chatbot. It feels so real. <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite chatbots out there. Um, Cindy Gallup, if you haven't heard of her, she is um, a a monumental woman in tech and in the business world and just a huge champion for more women in tech and in business. And she partnered up with The Muse to create a chatbot to help you um, prepare for a negotiation for salary negotiations. Um, And so you can text with this chatbot. I think it was through Facebook Messenger. Um, and you know, tell her what you're currently making and it'll come back and tell you what the market rate is based on what city you live in. And it sort of like amps you up to go go in with your research and get excited to go and like negotiate for your raise. Um, which was the first time I'd really seen a chatbot in practice that I knew was a chatbot. Then I started to realize, oh, every time I'm chatting with Amazon or the airlines Probably it's a chatbot for the first, I don't know, 10 questions it asks me before it hands me off to a real person. Oh, you're right. Right? (laughs) Yes. Because it's like they're useful to the point where, you know, where everyone is asking the same questions or kind of, you know, the routing. Like think about when you call um, customer service and they, you know, they make you put in a whole bunch of information before they route you to a real person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like chatbots are useful in, in a very similar way. Where as long as the data that you're giving them is, you know, structured and in some way predictable, they should be able to, you know, come up with like a decision tree of here's what our answer would be, whether or not you have a person giving it to you. Yeah, totally. Okay, so Burr, we got very excited about chatbots as well. We did. Uh, now, <laughs> now is the time uh, to tell us, is there a technology that currently scares you? And it could be like in a good way, you know. <laughs> uh. So even though I work in tech, my parents like to joke that I'm kind of a Luddite. And I think one technology that that scares me a little bit is the normal normalness, increasing normalness of ubiquitous on-demand things like Amazon Alexa that's constantly listening uh, and recording your life kind of in the background. I find that a little creepy. Yes. Yes. The all-knowing Alexa. <laughs> yeah, I, I to be honest, you know, we've got one in our living room and in the office. Really? Literally, she's been listening to this entire recording on my end. Oh my gosh. Uh, and it does freak me out a lot. Like I use yeah. her to play Jeopardy and to ask what the weather is and sometimes to set a kitchen timer, and I'm not really sure allowing Amazon ambient recording privileges is, you know, pays off for 
playing Jeopardy every night. I didn't know that Alexa recorded stuff. I didn't know that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Gru, but I think it's like local recording uh, until it hears like the the trigger word that sort of says, hey, turn on. And then, you know, it it pops it up to the cloud and, and starts processing from there. But I could be wrong. I don't know a whole lot of the details about how that particular product works. But but in general, uh, when I watch a show or listen to something, I'm perfectly happy to, to take the 10 seconds it is <laughs> takes to, go, to walk over and push play. Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm just so interested by how you play Jeopardy with Alexa, Christina. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's it's become a ritual now. They So here, fun fact, it's total tangent. Um, they write apparently six questions for every category in a given day, but they mm. obviously only ask five of them on the air. So the Jeopardy app uh, on Alexa will take the sixth question that didn't air that day oh and um, across five categories plus, you know, your your final Jeopardy category and ask you those questions. And my favorite part of playing Jeopardy is at the end, they tell you how you ranked against like what other percent of players got all six right today or five out of six right today. And and so like that's honestly my favorite moment hearing my ranking um. <laughs> you're in it for the glory or or lack thereof depending on how it goes yeah <laughs> that's fantastic okay totally off topic yeah. one more question <laughs> i think it's time to, to head to the lightning round bert what advice would you give to someone who has two or more interests and very little clarity on how to connect them in their career, whether that means finding an interdisciplinary way to connect them or whether that just means building a career that allows these multiple interests to coexist. What advice would you give based on how you've, you know, figured out how to do it for yourself? So, I mean, for some people, finding a career path that molds them together is is the best. For me, I knew pretty early on. I, I, I also uh, did some acting when I was young and I remember after a performance, my parents saying, so is this what you want to do for a living? And I said, no, no, that, <laughs> that, that would ruin it for me if I had to make a living doing this. Uh, and, uh, and at some point I realized that making a living doing uh, research and writing software uh, is something that, you know, it wouldn't spoil it for me if I had mm. to make a living doing it. Uh, and, and so I've, I've kind of gone through that path and still found ways. It still takes time. It still takes effort to, to make sure that I have space in my life for both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the particular path that I chose. Now, if you're the type of person who really uh, needs that to be your livelihood or something, then pay attention to that and listen to that and find uh, a way to make that happen. I love that. Such good advice. It's such good advice, particularly allowing yourself to look at things in different, you know, capacities and forms in your life, like knowing what goes into making a career out of one thing um, and what that looks like versus, you know, being able to integrate it into a different career. Great advice about really, you know, honing in on the function of a passion in your life. Well. Indeed, Christina, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Exactly. I know, right? Yes. And in fact, we have a very intense sound cue that will play <laughs> the episode <laughs> when this happens. 
Robert, the way this works is really easy. We're just going to ask you a handful of questions, and your job is to just answer with the first thing that pops into your brain. And we'll do our best to not answer follow-up questions, which is hard for us. Or even ask follow-up questions. Yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll do my best not to embarrass myself then. That is all all we ask. Christina, do you want to kick it off? Here we go. Question one. What are you reading right now? Uh, actually, it's an autobiography by Lillian Allen, uh, the first African-American woman to be a certified beautician in the state of Pennsylvania. It's called Your House of Beauty. It was a self-published autobiography a few years ago. Awesome. That sounds amazing. That's I'm going to have to add it to my summer reading list. <laughs> Me too, 100%. Awesome. Uh, she was in her 90s when she wrote it. She uh, unfortunately oh passed, wow. passed away a couple of years ago. Anyway, go on. Oh my gosh, Bert. That was a, that was a follow up question, by the way. Oh my gosh! Uh, yes, yeah, we'll, we'll let it pass. You have a very you're off to a strong start. Okay, question mm-hmm. number two: What was the last thing that made you go, "Wow"? This question. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good. Other than this question, what is it? <laughs> Actually, all right. Uh, so, speaking of games, uh, perhaps. I had some friends visiting a few weekends ago, and they had brought uh, this Harry Potter card game um, that I was just – I uh, am not super experienced at building co- – at playing collaborative games. Uh, and uh, it was a very fun uh, collaborative game, so where everybody works together against the mechanic of the game. Oh. That sounds very that sounds wow-worthy. Very fun. Yep. Mm-hmm. It does. Okay, question three. What is something you've recently added to your personal human Venn diagram? My first uh, response is like some new uh, uh, body of work or literature <laughs> that that might be relevant to my work here at Duolingo, like survival analysis. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, that sounds uh, very interesting. We need if to we follow were allowed up. to ask follow yeah. questions, I would. <laughs> But we're not. But if so we were, mark it down. Survivalist literature. Oh my gosh, Christina, so, you are such a toughie. I am. But we, we, if you wanted to chime in about it, though, we wouldn't stop you. <laughs> uh, uh, survival analysis is a just a, it's a branch of statistics. Uh, at well, one application is literally survival in in medical cases, but in something in the context of something like Duolingo, we want to. Uh, understand how long our users, uh, our, our students are sticking around and when they come back and why they come back. Very cool. Awesome. See, I was imagining it was some sort of like computer model. I know. Well, you told me that we could, you know, I know. follow up at this point. I opened the floodgates. Um, Go for like, it. like in the event of a massive, like, I don't know, hurricane, how many of our users are still going to open Duolingo and do their lessons? <laughs> But well, not me so much. It was not that. Uh, several years ago for April Fools, uh, Duolingo did decide to start teaching zombie. Awesome. <laughs> there you go. The translation of everything is just brains. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we are okay. all fluent uh, in zombie. Okay. I, I think, my turn. Kate, yes. I think this is over to you. <laughs> okay. So while we were lightly stalking you on the miscellany tab on your website, uh, we found out that you're a big fan of wordplay, especially anagrams, which I have to raise my hand and say, same. I loved learning that about you. So do you have a favorite anagram that you can share with us? Not a particular favorite anagram, but one of the uh, – I enjoy all wordplay, anagrams, palindromes, holorhymes, uh, and one of the 
advantages of working at a place like Duolingo where there are literally dozens of languages spoken every day is oh my gosh. to be to be exposed to wordplay and other languages and cultures and especially like word puns that span across different languages. Ooh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that sounds pretty fun. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. Um Okay, you're doing so good. There's only one question left. Yep. Uh, give a shout out for a woman who is doing awesome things in machine learning who might be, I don't know, a little bit under the radar. So I'm not going to pick one. I'm going to pick a couple. <laughs> okay. uh, so I, I already mentioned earlier uh, Hannah Wallach, uh, mm-hmm. who uh, is a rising star in machine learning. Um, she is a roller derbyist and goes by the name Logistic Aggression. Uh, I will also give a shout out to Mary McLennan, who uh, uh, works at Google here in Pittsburgh, who also does roller derby under the name Ada Bloodlace. I'm starting to see a trend. (laughs) Okay, sorry. I am open. I'm going to open up a waterfall for a second. Ada Bloodlace. Yes, you have this amazing post on your blog uh, pitching some different derby names that all have to do with machine learning, don't you? Yes. Uh, and in fact, uh, the seed of that whole post was a conversation uh, with Sinead Williamson, who's a professor at UT Austin, uh, who does derby under the name Angela Momentum. Uh. <laughs> and we were so we were great. actually at a bout uh, where, where uh, uh, she was playing, uh, and we just got on a roll kicking off these names, and uh, oh, that's where the idea came from. My, oh my god, Kate, yes. in a future episode, can we can we talk through our future roller derby names? <laughs> I mean, first we have to sign up for roller derby, but second, I think we should come up with some good names. I mean, there are so many great ones. I'm actually going to link to this post in our show notes, Burke, because it's so great. I mean, there's <laughs> everything from Terra Bites. I mean, there's just so many to Gradient Descent. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm so into it, so... Uh, <laughs> Yes, visit our show notes for Burr's awesome post. <laughs> um, we are unfortunately out of time, but this was absolutely fascinating and uh, and also very enjoyable. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> Thank you, Burr. We <laughs> loved having you. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Bye. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. 
I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.